This episode brought to you by Team Stripes Academy. Learn from some of the top officials in the world. Start today at TeamStripesAcademy.com. You're listening to the Team Stripes Podcast, the podcast for hockey referees. Each show, we discuss the world of officiating and find out that not everything is in black and white. Here's your host, Brandon Bourgeois. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Team Stripes podcast. You're listening to episode number 33, where we interview really the guest that needs no introduction. His name is Ron McLean. Now, most of you out there will know Ron from his many years on Hockey Night in Canada, but what you might not know is that he actually was also a former official. So Ron was a referee for many years and did many high levels of hockey, and we're super lucky to have him on the show this week. Uh, so we were pretty nervous going into this episode, but we had a lot of fun, and Ron was really gracious with his time. So we want to welcome to the episode Mr. Ron McLean, and hope you enjoy. Ron, what was your uh, introduction to officiating, uh, first and foremost? Well, Brandon, I was still playing midget hockey in Red Deer, Alberta, and I had just embarked on a little bit of a radio career. I didn't think it was going to be my full-time gig, uh, but three of my high school chums were going down to CKRD in Red Deer, Alberta, and they were working as button pushers, operators they were known as. And one day a friend was sick, and uh, he said, uh, phone Ron McLean, a friend of mine. He'll come down to the radio station and push buttons for $27, and I did. And that same guy uh, was a referee. Uh, his name was Bernie Roth, uh, and he's gone now. But Bernie was uh, kind of an influence on my life growing up in Red Deer. And this was around 1976-77, and I was completing my uh, midget hockey playing, and I got cut by the Red Deer wrestlers at training camp in the autumn. And so I thought, you know, I'm enjoying this radio. If I play juvenile A, I might get my teeth knocked in. And uh, in those years, we had no masks or visors. So I decided to stop playing and join Bernie as a, an official in the Central Alberta zone uh, in Alberta. And I just, uh, I remember the first game was a complete blur. I was in grade 11 and I was just doing mites or squirts or whatever they were called at the time. And even that, for me, the first time on the ice, uh, it was just like being in the eye of a hurricane. Uh, but it didn't take long for your hockey wits to come about and you, you started to learn not to focus on just the puck and take in a little bit wider scope and and then I got the bug like I did with radio I, I really started to enjoy the challenge of working with the players and you know the skating part of it is great recreation the focus part of it is great recreation the fact that you have for uh, a couple of hours that you're involved in a game nothing enters your mind except the game itself so it's actually quite uh, an escape and quite refreshing and I, and I just went from there. I, I started doing, like all of us, uh, level two officiating and moved on up to level five over the years. So you said you caught the bug. I mean, was it a good learning curve for you to be able to, to improve as an official? Or were you somebody that really, as soon as you kind of got going your first couple seasons, you, it just, it was something that was a natural fit for you? Yeah, I think in my life, I was an only child. So, and we moved around. My father was Air Force, so we moved all over the country, lived in Nova Scotia, British Columbia, Yukon, Alberta. Uh, I was always forced to make new friends. I had no siblings, so you, you become a little bit more outgoing by virtue of uh, the fact you'd be quite lonely if you don't. And I, I, as a result, would become captains of hockey teams. I was a talker, right? I had a bit of a social gift because of that necessity. I would be the captain of most of my hockey teams. I was president of the students' union. I spoke at just about every graduation. So I was kind of that chatty guy, that social guy. 
that felt really uh, great in the role of an official where you're kind of facilitating something that's happening and you're you're actually helping to lead it without being too hands-on. Uh, so I, I, it was just one of the many kinds of things that seemed to appeal to, to the way I'd grown up. Uh, radio appealed to the way I'd grown up because on the radio you're sort of making someone's day, you're it's, it's a cheery bedside manner kind of a job, and mm-hmm. maybe refereeing isn't a cheery bedside manner type of a job, um, but it's still working with others and trying to manage their emotions and trying to uh, you know quietly play this uh, stir the drink role. And I loved it. I, I really and truly, all the years I did it, which was uh, I actively did it for 23 years. Um, and I can't ever remember going home thinking, geez, parents are jerks or geez, coaches are jerks. Uh, I understood why they had a vested interest and why they were wearing the, you know, slightly skewed lens. Mm-hmm. And I just felt really excited. It. I, I, I honestly, Brandon, my favorite moment was center ice during the anthem, uh, looking at the team in front of me on the blue line, you know, usually steam coming up from the pregame skate because a lot of junior hockey and university hockey and just the anticipation of uh, getting to drop the puck and hoping that the night would go well uh, I don't think there's ever been anything I did that I enjoyed more and looking back at your career because like you said you were an official for 23 years you got to be a level five in hockey Canada you worked junior a university and then lots of high level games I mean looking back at your on ice career what were the games that stuck out for you well, even I was recently up at Lakehead University for a convocation, and I refereed at the Fort William Gardens in pro hockey. It was the lowest rung of professional hockey, nothing like you or your dad are experiencing. But I did uh, what was called the United League or the Colonial League. Bruce Boudreau was a coach in that league, Louis Franceschetti, Mark Howe, uh, and Marty Howe. Lots lots of big names came through, and uh, I you know refereed guys that played in the National Hockey League. But up at the Fort William Gardens, I remember it was the first night they had sold, uh, decided to sell beer. And so the rink held, uh, I'd say, 5,000 spectators. It was packed, just jammed, and there was beer flowing, and I had uh, a, a crazy game going on. There was a fight broke out, and one guy took off his helmet, grabbed it by his own chin strap, and catapulted the helmet at the other guy. I'd never <laughs> seen that. And uh, at that point, uh, maybe 15 years <laughs> refereeing. So you know it's a match penalty for intent to injure, but... It was quite the spectacle, and that's a that was a really great weekend. I refereed two games, which is normally what you do when you'd go up to Thunder Bay, and I actually did a speech in between. And people at the you know in the audience at the speech were questioning some of my calls on the Friday night, and <laughs> that was a really great experience. And then I had a, a famous one in my book. I write about a game, a senior game in Bentley, Alberta, with the Generals and the Silden Lakers, where. I allowed play to continue. There was a race for the puck between a guy on a breakaway and the goaltender. Sylvan Laker on the breakaway, Bentley goaltender coming out to try and meet him and beat him to the puck. They collide, and when they collide, the goalie goes down like he'd been shot, and I just felt like that couldn't have been that serious, and I let the play continue long enough for the Laker to get up and put it in the empty net, and it was an overtime, and it led to the crowd pouring over the glass and through the gates, and it was just an anarchy in the Bentley arena. If I had it to do again, as I wrote in the book, I would have blown the play dead because what's the harm in moving on at tie, right? Once you once you make a decision as critical as I made and the game ends, there's no going back. So being a 20-year-old referee at senior level, uh, it was a deciding game. Uh, I think I probably shouldn't have sort of tried to play doctor and figure out whether the goalie was genuinely hurt. I should have 
just blown it down. And I don't think Sylvan Lake would have been that upset that I blew the play down. Um, but that was a learning experience, and it's probably the most memorable because the the mother of the goalie was one of the fans on the ice, and she was screaming blue murder at me, and then her top plate her denture fell on the ice and that kind of stopped everything. Everybody was in shock. And I met her recently. Her, her son, the goalie Bernie is now a referee out in Alberta. <laughs> so that's how, you know, he didn't, he, he was mad at me, of course, at the time, but uh, I didn't turn him off officiating altogether. And Ron, you mentioned that, you know, you weren't somebody, I guess that got rattled easily. You know, you knew your role, your role in the game. You, you knew people were going to be emotional, but certainly if you ever were going to be tested mentally, it would be after a game like that. I mean, was there ever any strategies or tips that you implemented throughout your career to sort of handle games like that? Well, one of the countermeasures to that was uh, in my early career in broadcasting, I had severe anxiety. Um, The person at maybe the CBC or CKRD would throw it out to me and say, and now here's Ron McLean for the next minute, and it would just be me. And I'd get my fight or flight uh, adrenaline going out of control with an anxiety attack and it was brutal, and I had to kind of work my way through that. I, always, I thought I was the only one in the world that ever experienced anxiety because I was young and an only child. Uh, so I, I battled there, but I never battled on the ice as a referee, which is the weirdest thing. I don't know if it's because you're in motion when you're making decisions or you, you have that fresh air in your lungs, but I never felt afraid uh, as a referee. It was the most calm uh, situation for me, and... And I I had nights when I was down on myself, nights where I knew I'd lost my temper, I'd lost my grace, or I'd even made bad calls, and I was, you know, down on myself for that. But I I was always able to forgive myself because I was an athlete, right? I'd played all sports. I'd missed a game-winning field goal for the senior championship at our high school in Red Deer. God knows I'd missed uh, penalty shots, breakaways. You know, I'd failed like the old Michael Jordan. You know, I've missed 9,000 shots. I've uh, blown the game-winning, you know, free throw three, 30 times. I failed a lot, and that's why I succeed. And I, I kind of had that sports mentality in officiating. You just can't get it right all the time. Nobody can. So it didn't, didn't eat away at me uh, the way uh, maybe my mistakes in broadcasting did. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a that's a that's a great point. And just I'm curious because obviously we talk a lot about how you know young kids want to make the NHL. They see the bright lights ahead of them. And for you, did you ever see yourself making those professional levels, uh, like the NHL, as an as an official? Totally. Uh, oh, as an official for sure. Uh, and and because my broadcasting kind of took off a little bit, I was 24 years old when your father Charlie was playing for the Calgary Flames in 1984, and I was already in the NHL as a 24 year old broadcaster. So I, I kind of knew that chances are that's the route I was going. Uh, but I, my dream was to work the Olympics. I really, we had an official from Central Alberta, Bernie Haley of Innisfail. Uh, he had worked the Lake Placid Games in 1980, and he was one of my idols. Bernie was a beautiful river skater, really had that gorgeous, you know, long stride, powerful stride like a Paul Coffey, and uh, a great referee. And I I thought, you know, I'd love to do the Olympics. And unfortunately for me, right around the peak of my officiating career, which is your mid-40s, that's when the (laughs) NHL got involved in the Olympics. And sort of that took my dream away because now they started to use NHL referees to call the games. They're starting to mix it up a little. But at that point, they were going fully with uh, NHL officials, and that kind of ended that dream. But that that was definitely, you know, to do a World Juniors or to do an Olympics was, was really high on my radar. The NHL part, uh, I mean, I was already there, so there's no way that was going to happen. I read an article that, that I think you were interviewed for, and it said that, you know, 
like in broadcasting as in officiating, you want to let your guests or the players be the star. And I think that's a, that's a great philosophy. But I had a question. I mean, when you were going through these levels and you kind of became well-known for, for being a broadcaster, did it ever become a challenge where, you know, you'd, you would officiate a game and people would say, oh, there's Ron McLean, and, and it became difficult to kind of let the players be the stars? No, that part was easy, and the players were great. You know, like I remember Manny Legacy was playing in uh, Thornhill, Ontario, which is a suburb of Toronto, and he hadn't made the NHL yet. He's just playing junior, and he came over to the side of his crease, and he, you know, mumbled, you know, you should listen to Don Cherry. You really should. You know, and there was funny moments like that all <laughs> the time because guys knew me. Um, but they quickly, again, it's you're, you're following the puck. You're so focused on the game that all that other noise or chatter disappears uh everybody you know before the game over a coffee will you know say, hey it's ron from hockey night in canada but that as soon as the puck drops just like players will say you know i have all this butterflies going on in the dressing room but the minute you're starting to follow a puck zinging around the ice and bodies crashing here there and everywhere none of that matters and and like you know brandon for an official there's always a little baptism of fire every time you move into a new loop. Like if you graduate to the American Hockey League, they might test you a little bit. Uh, as soon as they get to know you, then it's fine. They they quit. You know they may not like you. They may not. If you're a referee, a head referee, they may think you're overzealous and you call too tight a game, or they may not like that you're too lax and you call too soft a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but they accept you for who you are. It's it's a little different. I have to admit. You know I was a. I was a product of the three referee system, two linesmen, one head referee. So you really knew what you were getting uh, once you knew the official. In a two referee system, which we have now, two head referees, um, it's it's a little trickier to uh, to pinpoint. You know, oh, this is uh, Don Koharski. He calls it this way because the other guy may be on a completely different tangent that night. Um, I think it's helped in a way uh, to eliminate that, but I, I'm, I'm not sure that's. I'm not sure it was a bad thing to know where you stood with uh, the kind of game that was about to be called because, you know, everybody begs for consistency. I think it's impossible to get consistency night to night. I think it's quite possible to get consistency from the start of the game to its conclusion. I'm just curious, jumping a little bit to your career in broadcasting. I mean, a lot of the time, obviously, uh, on the panels, whether, you know, it's in Hockey Night in Canada or or any sort of national uh, televised event, I mean, does your does your background as an official bring bring an asset to the table or when you're in the, these panels with a lot of these former players or goalies or coaches i mean does that unique background as an official sort of help you out in sort of discussing what whatever well, might be at hand i think i think it's certainly you know the the core uh, essence of officiating is fairness right so you you are kind of predisposed to wanting everybody to have the fairest shake uh, it makes you egalitarian in your approach to a panel. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. I think. Obviously, uh, there have been times when, when I I see, you know, like Don Cherry always kind of reads the goalie. As soon as the play ends, the puck goes in the net. He looks to see if the goalie is looking, you know, with a, a glare at one of the defensemen. He he can tell if the puck was tipped just by that. And a referee has a little bit of that too. You start to take in a big picture and. You, you kind of realize something was amiss there, you know, that everybody let up for a split second, chances are it was offside. And uh, those, are the, those are little things that maybe help me, and for sure you're a judge or an uh, adjudicator, so you're, you're always seeking uh, fairness in, in how the broadcast is uh, conducted. Um, but but I, I just think those leadership qualities, be they for a teacher or a doctor, or, as I went and mentioned earlier, bedside manner, I think 
I think that ultimately is the gift, how you, how you create a presence. It can be a warm and friendly. I was saying to you off the air that some referee with honey and some referee with vinegar, both approaches can work. I did it with honey. I tried to talk my way through the night. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of nights I would be, you know, charming the guy, and he would just say, oh, shut up, just make the call. <laughs> and, you know, you realize, okay, that's not going to work for everybody, and nothing does. So, you, again, you, you just sort of work it as best you can. You try to be as consistent in, in your own approach. Uh, I always teach, you know, uh, try to maintain your grace uh, at all costs. That's the biggest thing for the referee. We are letting the guest be the star. It's not that you're a rollover. It's just that you're, uh, you really are there to help the the two warriors do their thing. It, that that is the game. Is the is the battle between two sets of players, and they're under uh, tremendous pressure. They are in you know uh, really the emotions are ratcheted up to such a level that uh, they really rely on you to be the the calm one, not the like I love in Campbellton, New Brunswick. I remember when we did Scotiabank Hockey Day in Canada. There, they have a little way that they collect money. The referees for the end of the year party. If you get hit by the puck, you have to put. Uh, 50 cents in a, you know, pot. And I think it actually ratchets up to a dollar for certain other things when you get in the way. But it, it was kind of a gracious idea that, you know, if you get hit by a puck where most refs, not most, but many refs will say, hey, you know, dummy, look where you're shooting it. Never. I would never do that. I, I, I always took the blame for uh, getting hit by the puck, even if I thought the guy might have done it on purpose. I, I never wanted to give him the satisfaction of knowing that I was, you know, going to take the bait. I was going to be upset. I wanted him to feel totally confident that I felt confident and that if it did hit me, I could shrug it off and I could take the blame. And then I think they would respect you more. And that's a very important lesson for a referee is to, is to be gracious and to uh, respect the player. And as you travel around the country, uh, for, you know, for the job that you do now, I mean, do you ever find yourself stepping into a rink and going to see the officials after the game and dropping by? No, I, well, we don't get to as many games as we should because we anchor so much from uh, the CBC building in Toronto. But like after a Stanley Cup game, it would be neat to do that. But I, I can't say that I've ever done it. I, you know, like I, I remember Kevin Pollock had a quick whistle situation down in Nashville two years ago, uh, and it cost. You know, it was a critical sixth game, and it looked like the Predators had scored. But Kevin lost sight of the puck, and it's his prerogative to blow the play dead. I know he'd have felt kind of crummy about it, but he's a great referee, right? Mm-hmm. So I would have loved to have gone by and just told Kevin that. Uh, but it's just bedlam. Honestly, we do reports for Sportsnet Central after the shows, and Don Cherry, you're you're walking with essentially Santa Claus, right? So we can't get <laughs> four feet without him taking a photo, uh, thumbs up, and signing a autograph. So it it just doesn't work out that way, unfortunately for me. I see them maybe in the off season at Charity Golf and. I wish I saw them more, but uh, don't doesn't happen. I'm curious, you know, if you, if you look at the when you started as an official and after 23 years, you know, towards the end of your career. I mean, how did you change as an official throughout the years? Did you progress in certain ways, or did your mindset change at all as you went along? I don't know that it did a ton. Uh, I, again, I liken all my sort of innate skills to a, a version of leadership born of the life that I'd led. And I kind of applied those to broadcasting, to refereeing, to leading school unions. Always the same sort of uh, building blocks were in place. Uh, I guess um, the one thing, Brandon, that I did learn is that if you have a heavy workload in a particular week, uh, I learned to concentrate better. My focus improved as I grew older, uh, understanding the pitfalls of letting your guard down. If If you referee three games in three nights, 
I guarantee you the third period of the third game, you're going to make a mistake. You're just mentally going to start to take it for granted, and you can't. Uh, it, it's a really important uh, point that you, you maintain your concentration, you really bear down and focus, uh, otherwise that arm's just going to start flying up on you, you know, and you're not going to have used your sort of judgment. You're going to allow, uh, uh, you know, you're just going to be a reactionary, and you cannot be a reactionary as a good official. You have to really be sort of always saying, okay, what's left in the game? What's the situation? I don't think they teach as much game management as we used to, um, but I still think it's important. And I honestly think last year in the National Hockey League, I felt that the uh, the refereeing became nicely nuanced. Uh, you know, they, I would say probably to the chagrin of anybody, you know, that's in charge of hockey, but I felt like they were letting them play a little more than they had, say, coming out of the 2006 symposium conducted by Brendan Shanahan. And I liked that. I thought the hockey was great. Um, I think that's the art. I really do think the art of officiating is to uh, to know when to back off. They, 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 in my life, uh, one of my favorite writers is a guy named Harold Bloom, who did a book called Where Shall Wisdom Be Found? And it's uh, comparing all the greats. Like, as an example, one chapter, he compares the writings of Shakespeare to the writings of Cervantes, the Spaniard who wrote Don Quixote. Mm-hmm. And it's all about wisdom. Everything in the book is about whether it's Plato or Homer or St. Augustine. It's about these writers who were trying to figure out how to get at the truth, how to get at wisdom. And ultimately, the book concludes, wisdom is knowing what to overlook. Knowing what to overlook. And I think as a referee, that's a, that's a really, really important uh, lesson. And I think that's certainly something we could apply, you know, <laughs> to many aspects of our life. Uh, and yes, I think that's, it, that's, it is. Yeah. That, and that's, you know, you're, when you're working with uh, players, uh, working with teams, it, it's all about communication. It's all about... Uh, you know, I mean, your dad certainly would have known uh, in, in both at the university level and at the National Hockey League level that the strength of a team comes when all of the individuals are free to be themselves. There's no fear in how they are. There's no constraints on who they are. Uh, but they know how to play the team role, right? They understand uh, the two dynamics. They're very counterintuitive, how, how to be uh, an individual and how to be a teammate. Uh, and the art is to bring those two together. And that's what a good referee does. A good referee, you know, Brad Marchand would be a great challenge, right? Uh, there, there's a guy that's, that's a superstar skilled player and a rat. And now you're, now you, you've got to figure out how do I keep that guy from killing this night? Uh, and, and if you can do that, uh, if you can keep him, you know, sort of uh, the opposition, not losing their moxie uh, over this guy, then you're a great referee. And as an official, when you saw that uh, Brad Marchand licking incident, what would you have called that? <laughs> well, season? you know, it, it, it's definitely a misconduct penalty. It's, you know, again, it's the National Hockey League, so you have to be careful. But I, I would have given him a 10, uh, and that doesn't put them down a man, uh, but it certainly sends an important lesson. We used to hand out gross misconducts, which they no longer do, but that was for making a travesty of the game. Perfectly written. It was, uh, you know, you, you are making a travesty of our game. Here's a gross misconduct, and you're gone for the night. And he'd never do it again. And, you know, there'd be a lot of, uh, you know, hue and cry about it. But fact of the matter is, in, in, a, in our world right now, you know, salacious stuff, it's just not acceptable anymore. And uh, never mind the, the possible medical uh, risks. Um, it's just, uh, it's inappropriate conduct. And Brad knows it. Bless his heart. You know, he's a good person and a great player 
Um, and, he, and his job is to agitate, and he just went a little too far on that. So I would have started with a 10. I wouldn't have given them the gross misconduct immediately. <laughs> yeah. But a 10-minute misconduct would have been, you know, that then then the uh, Bruins, you know, Bruce Cassidy's going to say, God, Brad, I can't afford to lose you for 10 minutes. So that would have been the end of it. Typically, at, at the end of these podcasts, we like to, I guess, solicit some advice for officials, and we're, we're coming into another season, and as we've mentioned, I mean, certainly we there's especially for newcomers. There's always lots of challenges each year. Certainly, we lose a lot of officials each year. I mean, for these these newcomers starting out, which uh, what advice I guess would you give to them heading into the season? Well, rhinoceros skin is a great idea. Have that, you know. Please don't think that what a fan says or a parent says or a player says is any reflection on truly the work you're doing. Uh, you will know. You know the only the only person you truly have to. Uh, face uh is the one in the mirror uh and and try to remember that try to uh you know we all are human we all are it's it's nice to be vulnerable it's nice to listen to what others have to say because that's how you improve um but at at core you know if your if your heart is uh we always say if you have a red heart which means well-intentioned heart versus a black heart which means you've got an agenda or an axe to grind now you're going to be in trouble. If you're out looking for a guy that bothers you or a coach that irritates you, uh, you're in trouble. Just go into every game with a red heart, uh, generous, uh, understanding that you're kind of the custodian, you're kind of the uh, conduit that's going to make this game electrifying tonight. Uh, both as, you know, I used to always say to the linesmen, you know, from about 10 minute mark of the third period to the end of overtime, game is yours now. I really need you to be on the ball now. These icings are critical. These offsides are critical. These uh, skirmishes are critical. So, the linesmen kind of take over important games uh, late in the games. So we all play a really vital role. Um, but go, go do it with a red heart. Go do it for the right reasons, and that is for the for the players. And I think that's ex- exceptionally well said, Ron. And I think uh, for those that are listening out there, they certainly appreciate your advice and your experience and uh, and all that you bring to, to officiating. So we certainly thank you for your time, and we uh, wish you all the best uh, down the road. My pleasure, Brandon. Yeah, you'd be great too.